Well, good morning, Good Shepherd. Whether you are live or live streaming what we're doing today, I'm Talbot Davis, the pastor here. Always, always glad as you connect with this church to be able to connect back with you either in person or online. And we are in the fourth week of this message series called Room for Improvement, a, a series where we've been looking at different areas of our lives and how God creates that room where we might have an upgrade in each of them. We talked about improving your prayer and improving your attitude. Not that anyone here needed that, improving your attitude, improving your finances. And today it's called Improving Your Surroundings. And this is one of those messages that comes from a couple of different places in Scripture. Fortunately, it's a couple of different places within the same book, the, the Old Testament book of Proverbs within the biblical library. It's sort of the timeless collection of timely wisdom. So if you have your Bible with you, maybe it looks like mine or maybe it's loaded on your phone, go ahead and locate Proverbs chapter 1. And just keep a finger there, and uh, we'll, we'll begin to address that momentarily. And as you're finding Proverbs chapter 1, uh, were y'all ready for some good news? Yeah. You all, because of, we, Jamie Howell talked about generosity at this church. And I just want you to know that because of your generosity, uh, this past week, we were able to send a check for $20,000 to Samaritan's Purse Ministry to go towards the rebuilding and the reconstruction of Southwest Florida after the recent hurricane. Yeah, that, that is good news. And, and uh, if you're new, this will sound new to you. And if you've been here a while, this might sound familiar. But notice what we didn't do. We didn't do a special offering. We didn't have a spaghetti dinner. We didn't do a fundraiser. Instead, we do what we always, y'all give, y'all give like crazy. You're so generous, and because you give it, when the emergency happens, we have it, and we're able to bless people, and because of what you do, there are people putting their lives back together in Southwest Florida, get moving into their homes, and having the, the hope that comes from that reconstruction because of what you all have done. So we, I just, every once in a while, like you to know the good news, the, the good work that your generosity does. As we move back into room for improvement, because last week was improving your finances. As we move into today, it's improving your surroundings, and we will be jumping around to a couple of different places in Proverbs. Some of you know how we feel about the Bible at this church, and for others of you, this will be brand new, but I just, we love the Bible. We don't worship it, but we love the Bible. And the reason we love the Bible because, is because loving Scripture helps us adore the Savior, and we do worship Him. And so we believe that God has breathed his life and his truth into the entire biblical library. And because we're really glad to surrender to the authority of that library, we do something unusual when we talk about the Bible at this church. We lift it up. And, and again, if you haven't been here before, you haven't tuned in before, and there's phones in the air, and my Bible's up in the air, and you're just like, this is unusual. I hadn't seen this before. You're right. We admit it. We confess. We're guilty. But we've discovered this is a moment of oddity that shapes our identity as a community because we're a collection of people who do not have life figured out, but we know who does. And we're glad to surrender our lives to his authority. Amen. And before I say anything else, let's pray. So God, thank you that you're good. Thank you we could celebrate and sing about what you've done. And, and thank you for the Holy Spirit who inspired the author of Proverbs so long ago. And and I just pray that Holy Spirit would fill me, anoint me, give, a, give me a fresh pouring out of everything that is good 
for the people of, within the sound of my voice today. For in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So one thing that I think that you'll probably agree with me about is that few things are more unnerving than what they call feedback. Some, some people call it constructive criticism. And, and you know as well as I do, we, we, when we get some constructive criticism, we never hear the constructive part. We just dial in to the criticism part. And for some of you, it started very young when dad would pull you aside after the game just to give you a few hints about how you might play the next game better. When mom would pull you aside after the recital to tell you how you could have done that even better. It was constructive criticism and you tuned out the construction and you dialed into the criticism. And then for a lot of you, it continues to this very day, does it not? As you have those weekly meetings with your supervisor to go over how you're doing at your job, you know, those, those meetings where you connect and you inspect and then you correct. And, and for most of you, a lot of time is spent at that correcting part. It's feedback. And, and, and when we get it, we wait for it with kind of resentment and with some anxiety. And, and maybe as we think about work-related feedback, is there anything more dreaded than those deadly three, the, the annual performance? Who here loves that week? When you, it's annual performance review week, everybody just loves it. And, and your 360 review is coming. And you know what a 360 review is, don't you? It, it, it's where people within the organization who are above you, who are below you, who work alongside you, they get to offer some anonymous feedback on how you're doing at your job and what it's like to work with you. And some of you know that, 360s have been weaponized. They're weaponized against you. And maybe you weaponize a 360 against someone else. All makes me think of the guy who had a, a long employment history. In fact, he kept getting fired from every job and he was uh, interviewing for another job and he handed his resume to the guy and the interviewer looks at his resume and all these, all these short stops where he kept getting let go. And, and the interviewer says, your work history is terrible. You keep getting fired from every job. And the guy says, well, at least you know I'm not a quitter. <laughs> it's feedback. It's criticism. It's counsel. It's advice. And, and it is not limited at all to our work lives. I mean, you have people who speak into your love life, into your personal life, into your, your grooming habits, into your romantic choices. People offer all kinds of solicited and unsolicited feedback into what you're doing and the kind of choices you make. And, and one of the strangest TV shows that I've come across, and, and I haven't really seen it because my wife, Julie, she's the one who watches it. And I just sort of hear it going on in the background, but it's called Four Weddings. And in four weddings, four, some of you are nodding, four, four brides, they all sign up to go to each other's wedding. And at the end of every wedding, they give each other grades on how good the wedding, as if a wedding doesn't have enough stress already. 
I'm going to submit my wedding to the grading of a peer, and it's going to be on national TV for everybody to see. It is feedback. It's criticism. It's counsel, and it, it, it surrounds us. And, and again, maybe out of all these kind of feedback loops that we're in, few are more intimidating or more unsettling than, than the kind you don't ask for unsolicited advice, like the kind that your in-laws give you on your parenting skills. You loved that, didn't you? You just like, would you give me more unsolicited advice on what kind of parent I am, mother-in-law, father-in-law, or, or uh, back before COVID, I would go to a, a local YMCA for some fitness work. And this is, but they had to, it closed down. I, I actually, I dropped my membership and they said, well, we're done here. So they closed the whole YMCA branch, but <laughs> But before COVID, uh, while I was being there with my little fitness routine, there was a guy who would offer me unsolicited advice on my form and on my technique. And my unsolicited advisor was super strong. I mean, he just built like an Adonis, you know, cut like that. And so, of course, if this guy's giving me advice, I'm going to do it. And so I would do his advice. And of course, I would get injured trying to do what he was telling me to do because ain't no way I can do what that male model guy could possibly do. So it's, it's feedback and it's rarely embraced. It's usually resented. It is only occasionally tolerated. And bumping up against all of that, bumping, bumping up against all of our sort of natural resistance, our inherent reluctance to letting other people pour any kind of wisdom into our lives, bumping up against that comes this pattern from the Old Testament book of Proverbs, this timely collection of timeless wisdom from about 3,200 years ago. So the wisdom here is old, but it's never out of style. And as I may have told some of you before, Proverbs is one of those rare books in the Bible where, where context actually doesn't mean everything. Because usually in the Bible, if you, if you think of a biblical book like a pearl necklace, and, and we, we try to take the different pearls off, oh, that verse is nice, I love that verse. Usually the pearls only have meaning when they're connected on the string, that's the way it is with most biblical books. Proverbs is actually a little bit of an exception that it is this collection of pearls that don't always connect with what comes right before it or what comes right after it, which is why when you see a pattern develop in Proverbs, like, oh, I read that here and here and here. Oh my gosh, this inspired author is trying to get through to me because that's exactly what we have in our topic today, room for improving your surroundings. Look what it says in Proverbs chapter one, verse five. It says this, let the wise listen and add to their learning and let the discerning get guidance. And, and I, I love, let the people who are already wise not rest on their laurels, but get more learning. Chapter 10, verse 17, whoever heeds discipline shows the way to life but whoever ignores correction leads others astray. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 15, maybe my favorite in the entire pattern. The way of fools seems right to them, but the wise listen to advice. Proverbs 15, 12, mockers resent correction, so they avoid the wise. 
In Proverbs 15, 31, whoever heeds life-giving correction will be at home among the wise. Whoever heeds life-giving correction will be at home among the wise. Oh my goodness. And this is just a small slice of a much larger pie that I just could have kept reading to you over and over and over again. This is a pattern that just leaps off the page because what the inspired Solomon, what the inspired author of Proverbs wants us to know is that people who are wise, they don't view advice, counsel, feedback. They don't view that stuff coming into their lives as something to resent, something to avoid, but instead something to receive and, and something to embrace. That, that people who are wise they don't fall trapped to the, that it's only fools who think they already know it all. And people who are wise are keenly aware that they don't. And that people who are wise, that people who understand their own life has room for improvement. And regardless of their age and regardless of their level of maturity, even regardless of how well they know scripture and how long they've been coming coming to church. There's always room for improvement. And people who are wise understand that more voices pouring into your life, offering you counsel, offering you feedback is not something to avoid, not something to resent, something to embrace and something to receive because they know. They know that the more you do that, you end up having a life where you spend less time managing crises and more time preventing them. Did you catch that? Some of you probably have a you may have even come to church this morning. You have a kind of life where you bounce from one crisis to another. All of your emotional energy is spent managing crises, crises in your family and crises in your health and crises in your life and crises at work. And Proverbs comes along and says, man, when you get this, when you get this room for improvement principle that leaps off the pages of the book of Proverbs, you'll spend less time managing crises and more time preventing them in the first place, which I just guarantee you is a much better way to live. And so you, 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 you put our own resistance and our own reluctance to feedback, and you put that alongside this unmistakable Proverbs pattern, and here's the thing that I want you to know today. And I'm telling you the thing that I'm telling you earlier today than usual, because we're going to spend some time teasing it out. Here it is. Don't wait for feedback. Instead, chase it down and soak it up. Don't wait for feedback. Don't regard feedback and, and, and constructive criticism and advice and, 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 and consent and, 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 and instruction. Don't regard all that as something that you have to endure. Don't think of it as a, as a got to. It's a get to. Don't wait for feedback. Because when you wait, you build up all kinds of resentment and all kinds of anxiety. Instead, chase it down and soak it up. That's the pattern that leaps off from the book of Proverbs. And I want the people within the sound of my voice, I want those of you who keep going from crisis to crisis to crisis and who keep following your heart and trusting your gut and who keep making one bad decision out of an, after another, I want you under, to understand that if you want to improve your surroundings, you will surround yourself with people who tell you not what you want to hear, but what you need to hear. Don't wait for feedback. Chase it down. Soak it up. And the stakes are high. 
people. The reason I'm telling you this is the stakes are high. Look at, at Proverbs chapter 12, verse 15 again. This is one that I said was my favorite. The way of fools seems right to them. Oh, I love that. The way of fools seems right. It makes sense. It feels natural. It sounds good. Some of you may have heard of Roy Regals. Now, normal, normal people probably haven't heard of Roy Regals, but some of you may have heard of Roy Regals. Roy Regals played college football for the California Golden Bears in the year of our Lord, 1929. And in the Rose Bowl game that year against the, whereas the California Golden Bears are playing the Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets, Roy Regals was a defensive player and in the heat of the battle, he picked up a fumble and he started, it was a scoop and score like they call it now. He started running for a touchdown, except he was running the wrong way. And he ran all the way and he scored that touchdown. And instead of scoring the points for the California Golden Bears, he scored those points for the Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets. And for the rest of his life, he was known, not as Roy Regals anymore, but as wrong way Regals. And you may be asking, well, Talbot, that was very interesting. I now know way more about the 1929 Rose Bowl than I ever thought I was going to know. But why are you telling us about Roy, wrong way Regals? Well, a couple of reasons. First, try to say wrong way Regals three times fast. There's no way you can do it. And, and, and second, the reason I'm telling you about is because as he was running the wrong way, all of his teammates on the California Golden Bears were chasing after him, calling out to him, telling him to turn around, but he had so much adrenaline going that he couldn't hear them. And after the game, one of his teammates said, Roy Regals had instincts without direction. Instincts without direction. And don't we all. You followed your heart. You did you. You trusted your gut. And all that that seemed so natural to you, made such good sense for you, ended up being absolutely deadly in your life in the long run. I mean, it made sense to marry that guy. Everybody told you to move in with that girl. People said you, you should make that investment. It seemed logical to leave that job or leave that neighborhood or leave that church or leave that family. You listened to your heart and you trusted your gut and you did you and disaster was the result because you too had instinct without direction. And against all of that, against your natural inclinations, listen, good shepherd, I don't care how long you've been walking with Jesus, even if you are, some of you might not be walking with Jesus yet. And that's okay, I'm so glad you're here. But even if you have and you've been walking with him for a long time, all of us have an infinite capacity for self-deception, all of us. And that's why God in his goodness when we get confronted with our own tendency to tell ourselves our own lies and believe them to our own grave, God surrounds us with people, when we're willing, who will tell us not what we want to hear, but what we need to hear. So who do you surround yourself with? 
Who, who has permission in your circle to tell you, not just give you all comfort, to, who, who has per permission not to affirm you all the way to the gates of hell, but even to offend you into the arms of your king? Who, who has that permission in your life? Because you know, you know so many times it felt natural to you and it ended up being deadly for you. Don't wait for feedback. Chase it down. Soak it up. And you've never arrived. Uh, even those of you who've walked with Jesus for years and years and years, and you consider yourself at least towards maturity and faith, you've never arrived. You never know it all. You, ne you can never stop learning. I've told some of you before that the last decade or so, the last 10 years or so in ministry, and I've been at this 32 years now, the last 10 or 12 years, been so much, the, 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 even with COVID and everything, so much the most rewarding. And, and, in, and in large part, get this, because about 10, 12 years ago, I stopped preaching Bible verses and started preaching the Bible. And there's an enormous difference between those two. Because preaching Bible verses, it's kind of easy. You just pull out some verses that match what you want to say. Preaching the Bible when you actually dig in and you understand context and you appreciate art and you, and you get the literary skill, it's so much harder, but it is so much rewarding because the Bible's so much better than you ever thought it was. And it was only, and, and there's two ways to look at what happened to me over the last 10 years. You could say, well, that means Talbot, that for 20 years you subjected us to you doing your job and not knowing what you were doing. God's so good that for the last 10 years, he surrounded me with people who knew more about scripture than I did. People who were younger and were able to give me a greater awareness of scripture. And Todd, this, this is how good the Bible is. This is how fascinating biblical study really can be. Yeah, and I just feel so blessed that these, this last decade or so has, I have reaped the personal benefits of not waiting for feedback, not being resentful about it, but man, chasing it down, soaking it up. Now, do, do not hear what I am not saying, because there's at least one exception. I, I don't want you to give carte blanche to anybody who wants to speak wisdom into your life. And well, they told me that, I might as well do it. And, and, and again, in, in, in ministry, I have... Uh, again, about 30 years, I've probably gotten over that time three or four unsigned letters. And well, the average is out to about one a decade. And have you ever noticed, nobody ever sends you an unsigned letter to tell you what a great job you're doing? <laughs> never, never. And, and so I, I do remember once getting, getting and when I get one of these once, a, <laughs> I can't wait to get like 10 of them this week. And I, and uh, <laughs> I do remember getting one of these and, and you just should know that when, when I get one of these, there's all kinds of simmering insecurity just beneath the surface of my life anyway. And so I get some of this unsolicited anonymous feedback and it's just ready to, to come up and, and control me. And so I took one of these letters to a, a friend who is older and mostly wiser. See how I was chasing it down and soaking it up and said, well, what do I, what do, I do with this? And, and my friend said, you know, you should devote all the time and all the attention to reading that letter that the author spent signing it. Yeah, you got it over there. All the attention reading and obsessing over the letter that the author spent signing it. 
boom. In that case, at least, wisdom received. See, when you understand, don't wait for feedback. Chase it down and soak it up. That really does put you in control. You don't have to put yourself at the mercy of just anyone who wants to spout off into your life. But you are instead purposeful in selecting who is it in your life? Who there can you rely on? Who can you reach out to to give you that advice about your love life and about your financial life and about your professional life and about your living relationship with Jesus Christ? And it puts you in in charge of assembling that circle, knowing that if you want to improve your surroundings, you'll surround yourself with people who don't tell you what you want to hear, but do tell you what you need to hear. And just so you know, I'll give you a secret about this church. This is totally why we do what we do. It's why we have life groups. It's why we have care classes. It's why we have grow groups. Also that we can get people into smaller environments where the wisdom can flow. Like the young woman in our church who found herself in a life group full of older ladies. And I was like, why? Why, why, don't you, why don't you keep it generationally appropriate? And she said, I feel like I'm sitting at a table of wisdom. Love that. Yeah. And by the way, along these lines, we have a new, and we're going to put the sign-up information. We have a new parenting group that just started last Wednesday and there's still room and it's going to go for nine weeks. And you, we still like, because we had a series last month about just a phase and it was all about parenting and relationships and household dynamics. And we didn't want that series to just to be a series of sermons. We wanted it to be a real movement in the life of this church. So we're following it up with this, a parenting group on Wednesdays at 630. And if you've ever been bewildered by your own children, like they were so cuddly when I first had them and now they won't even talk to me. So if you've ever gone through something like that, regardless of the age of your kids, go to GS, gscharlotte.org events and sign up for that parenting group. And there is room for you on Wednesday. You will be glad you did. It will make a difference. And who knows, you might even find yourself at your own table of wisdom that night. Don't wait for feedback. Chase it down and soak it up. And I, 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 I want you to know, I... I I count it such an incredible privilege when people come to us with those of us who work here, the pastors here with, with compulsions, you know, a lot of people, things, things in their lives started out. What is the way of fools seems right to them. It it started, man, it's just a bet, just a little gambling. It's just wine with dinner. It's a little, just a little imagery on the internet. Just a little cutting. And yet those turn into compulsions. And those start ruining people's lives. And the level of trust that the people of Good Shepherd in, invest in us. And, and when they come to us and, and, and they're like, I, I, I can't get out of this. I, I, I can't stop it on my own. What a joy it is to be able to walk people through. Because we have a niche. We, we've been able to have a niche and carve out a niche. Because we know you don't get better from something like this with one quick prayer. That's why recovery is not one great leap. It's 12 small steps. And we just, we have a niche of being able to help people move from sickness to health and from shame to grace. 
And when, to watch people do, do that, to watch them take that journey, man, that's what makes being a pastor worth it. And so I just want you to know that when I see the people of this church embarking on these kind of journeys and, and understanding, I, I, I got into this mess on my own, but I cannot get out of it on my own. That's joy and that's privilege. And don't wait for feedback. Chase it down and soak it up. Because every once in a while, every once in a while, the feedback you get from someone won't be corrective. It might just be redemptive. Young man in our church was going through a dark time and, and, an, and an older guy in our church. You notice how cross-generational what I'm talking about today is? And an older guy in, church, in our church, and I don't know what the message was, but just gave this younger man going through the dark time a message. And, and again, I don't know the content of the message. I just know the result because the young man told me what that guy said to me was trajectory changing trajectory changing. Anyone here need your life's trajectory changed? Then don't wait for feedback. Chase it down and soak it up. Let's pray. So Father, thank you for the tables of wisdom at which you have seated us. Thank you for the truth that you long to pour into our lives. Thank you that even when we get into stuff all by ourselves, you get us out with a community. And I pray, Lord, that you would increase our awareness that we do, in fact, need you every hour. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.